in the 90s, I was a little girl, and my uh, sense of the 90s had a lot had a lot to do with the interiors of um, cars. Not that I was um, like an old school whip fanatic or something like that. I was just always in on always in transit like the um, the road. <laughs> They say, the road is my home, I'm a road dog, you know, but I, as a kid, it was like, I was, I just remember always being in the fucking car, and I was going up this particular freeway, um, in Northern California, and I moved a lot, I, my parents are divorced, so I would go to family, um, different family members, I would stay with different people, it was just like, always, always in a car, so, in, in some ways, if I was gonna draw picture of a consistent home experience. It's just me in a black Honda Accord with my siblings riding on this endless gray road. And um, even though it's the same road and it's really the same sorts of towns and going back and forth um, with this sort of same pack of people. And uh, the locations keep strobing in and out and if you've moved that many times especially when you're young it starts to seem very fractured and fragmented when we were little I would um I would sometimes wake up often I would wake wake up not I'm not saying like every morning I would wake up this way but it wasn't uncommon to wake up and just not recognize where I was at all And it would take me, I would get scared, and I would look around. This all happens in like under a minute, just this fear feeling, where are you? Where is this? It seems a little familiar. Okay, 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 I'm at my my mother's grandmother's house, my my great-grandmother's house, um, in the second bedroom. Okay, that's where I'm at today. And then I would play a little game in my head, I would try to just remember the last few days, like, I I was like, memento junior, or whatever, I was like, what, where, what, like, look, look for the clues, like, how does this add up, um, one time my, my mom braided a, um, a bunch of embroidery floss, and, uh, in, like, purple, and, and, and teal, and black, and um, she put a golden lion charm at the end of it. And she tied it around my ankle, and I loved it. And it made me feel like I was in a place and a time, and I felt good. And then when I went to my dad's house, my stepmother cut it off, and I think it's because they had they hated each other, and. Um, that was gone. The, this like sort of weird identity marker. And I've, I've seen before, like these, uh, psychotic ribbly, ribbly scribbles (laughs) where they, they try to talk about, um, someone with a mental disorder starts collecting tchotchkes and like, like, like little scribbly doodly bops and pens and, uh, earrings and, and doodles and, they start to adorn themselves in sort of a 
um, you know, like magpie style. And um, I know I do. And I'm crazy as fuck. And I think that it has to do a lot with the the fracturing of like all these things and you just start like again like the movie memento this is just a big long commercial trailer for the movie memento if you haven't seen it go see it i'm getting paid every time i say the word memento my dream um you know the guy has like tattoos all oh whoops uh sorry i just dropped something um the guy has tattoos all over his body and they're just like these cryptic little clues like don't trust the lady in the bob haircut or whatever, you know, like drink the glass of water now or I don't know. I haven't seen the movie since I was a kid, but, um, you know, when you have that many fracturings, it's like sometimes hard because you just keep going and you're in a developing mind and you're like, who's in charge now? And now I'm with this sect of people and in their house, you can't say darn it's considered a bad word, and um, there's a more for formal dining situation, and um, they have um, the kinds of beds that have two sheets in them, and you have to go in between the two sheets, and that's the way that you sleep there, um, the fancies, you know, um, or, you know, like, there's, like, the lawlessness ones where you're like, okay, the major rule is, like, don't make any noise before 12.30 because you'll wake up your alcoholic caregiver and you might get popped, you know. And I don't mean popped as in, like, they're going to shoot you with a gun. They're, like, going to smack you around. So um, he starts to keep tabs on the shifting worlds, right? One time um, me and my brother and sister were little kids and uh, we, were, we happened to be sleeping on a carpeted floor and not the fancy Persian rug carpet for the rich people. We were sleeping on wall-to-wall -wall crappy carpeting shag. Um, <laughs> it was a um, desert storm uh, sand color sort of situation. Crap carpet. We're like, lie it out. Lie it out. There's like probably like an itchy knitted Afghan uh, blankie, um, you know, as a mattress or whatever. We're all laying on the ground, and um, we started talking, like, well, okay, what school are we, where are we going to now? What's, what's it called? Okay, it's called um, uh, Woodside School. Okay, what school did we go to before that? Yeah, we were just at um, Pioneer. And then what was the school that was before that? Oh, Pinkham. Okay. And then what was the school before that? And then we, we, would, we would play this game where we would try to move backwards and remember the schools that we went to. And uh, then one of us would, you know, we would skip over one and then one would be like, you forgot about Riverside School. And they'd be like, oh my God, ha ha ha. Oh my God, I can't believe we forgot one of the schools. Okay, let's go back and redo the order. And, um, memories are like, we, we were at the time, thank God, you know, thank God we had each other because what would have, I, I'm, I don't even know where I would be if I didn't have siblings, you know? Um, so we would sort of go, um, into this sort of anchoring with each other 
And it reminds me of something my friend Jason told me about something he saw uh, in the Grateful Dead documentary, I think, or I don't know. He's talking about dolphins and how dolphins, um, they don't have a specific location in the, in the ocean that is their home. Their home is when they're all together. And um, that's, that's how I felt, like, um, you know, when I was, like, I have a very big family, and a lot of it is a very disenfranchised, like, there's people that won't talk to each other, and there's, like, different chapters and belts and, like, step families, and it's not all congruent, you know, it's a little choppy. But um, if I had my siblings, and I was, like, especially my brother, you know, like, we just look at each other in the eye and, like, be, like, get a situation. And there's just, like, this flux of craziness swarming around like a tornado. And we're just like, yeah, I see you. This is going to be all right. And this is hilariously fucked, right? So, um, so anyway, the, the world keeps turning around, swishing us around, like one of those little um, metal bead puzzles with, uh, like, lucite wigglies and then you have to just move it so the bead moves around um and you you're moving it through I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about okay I'm gonna keep going (laughs) so um so there's this this thing that happens um in your brain uh when you move around a lot like that and then you have these different families and then um and then on top of that you're experiencing any kind of abuse or neglect And it is called fragmenting. Hello. Hi. I'm over here now. (laughs) It's uh, it's the the inner fracturing of the self. And if you could imagine, like, like one of those cheesy 80s, um, like, beautiful, sexy, like, mime, ceramic mime masks that people sometimes put on their walls um, imagine, like, like, just a, like, a silly image of that, just, like, fracturing, and it's like, who am I, um, it creates, it, it creates a complicated situation, and I still try to go back and, like, comb through and feel like, where is this, like, where am I, who am I, what, what, um, and it's, it gets confusing the more, um, the more you mix it up, you know, and then you, you exit at some point, you exit your childhood, you're an adult and they're like, okay, now it's all your fault. You got to figure it out, you know, and then you're like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm partying and working and meeting people. I'm talking to people. I'm getting the lowdown on like what human life is like for, for other humans. And they say things like, yeah, I hadn't really fucked up. My parents got divorced and, um, my dad beat me up sometimes and you're like yeah I feel you and the more you're talking to them you're like okay yeah you're fucked up sure but like wow like the level of isolation of um every single weird thing that happens to someone and this isn't a contest of who has it worse but I'm just saying um even when you're having a hard time relating to other fucked up kids and or adults and you're like yeah yeah Oh, okay. Like, I'm alone here. There's just, like, some uncharted territory that, um, that, uh, I, uh, really can't 
even express how confusing it is up in here. So then you, um, then you, by everything I just said, I clearly mean me, um, <laughs> then I take a, a step back. I take a step back and I isolate myself because I already feel isolated. And when I interact with people, I do it wholeheartedly. I'm like, I'm here. I hear you. I feel you. I've had a lot of experiences. I feel like I've lived a lot of lifetimes. I'm like, I can, I can throw down. I can like relate to what you're saying. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And then when I take a huge step back and then just put myself in uh, a space where no one else is, <laughs> I'm allowed to start playing with the knobs. And I don't mean my clit. All right. <laughs> I don't mean my clit and nipples. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm an idiot. Um, I mean like the, the, the inner world. So when I think of the hermit, I think of, uh, Hermes Trimagasis, uh, who is a possibly real person, possibly fictitious, but anyway, philosopher, ancient philosopher, and they had this concept of all of these different sorts of, um, polarizing concepts and ultimately everything is just sort of like this uh one of the principles is polarity for sure but like there's sort of this uh binary this this dial between like let's say one of them is mental genderism um and the idea is to drop into the self take a step back the hermetic is one who is looking within and they're saying, well, there's, there's very specified principles here. Um, where am I within my mental genderism? I feel that I have the sovereignty to look into myself and see what, what this inner working is and go ahead and like redial, like, uh, just imagining like a switchboard. I love this image of thinking of, and, and of course I love it because it oversimplifies uh, grandiose and obtuse um, invisible feelings that it, without metaphor or visualization would just be washed over commanding your subconscious, you know. So it's a great thinking about just like a switchboard, which is um, how I visualize hermeticism. So to feel at peace with oneself is to feel that you could trust yourself and then feel that you could trust yourself to have your best interest at heart and you can make yourself comfortable. Um, and what that means is always variant depending on the circumstances. So the idea of having um, composure isn't because you no longer feel uncomfortable or uncomplicated. It's the idea of recognizing that you are in control of how you feel, and the control is some sort of mechanism within you where you understand the sort of polarity of what is on each, either end, you know, of the dial, and then you can kind of uh, tune it as you see fit. Um, using your own sort of creative uh, ways. So the hermit is um, 
is someone, when I always see this card, I always think of someone who um, finds themselves in a unique position. And instead of feeling like a crybaby demon about it, they're like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to look for the unique perspective that I have because of my unusual life circumstances. I'm going to see things nakedly for what they are. And I'm going to feel in control of my own actions based on the advancement of my knowledge. And I'm going to seek and pursue more knowledge and mastery of self. Um, so this is um, a position that you don't have to, you know, be in foster care to get to, believe me. Like, um, that's just my particular um, rabbit hole that I fell into, you know, Um also, another thing, back into the writer way visualization, um, the cloaked figure is very interesting to me. It's a, you see a, um, a man with a long beard and a staff, and uh, he's holding up a lantern, and the lantern has a Star of David symbol in the center, and it's shining outward the light and uh, he um, is hunched over a bit and his face is sort of obscured by his giant hood and to me I'm thinking of of course right um, who else but Odin <laughs> I think of Odin um, so Odin is um, is a knowledge-seeking god, and I guess his um, his Grecian counterpart would be Zeus, you know, or Roman Jupiter. So if you're into astrology, you know what you know about Jupiter as a benevolent planet. Just think of that as sort of the same archetypal force as um, as, as Odin. So some sticklers out there would be all cringed up and like they're not the same they're different but like just feel me for a little bit for just a second imagine imagine there's a connection there the ruler god who is a knowledge seeker who has benevolent purposes and wants to expand um and expand in knowledge and uh find a way to give to others through expansiveness. So Odin um, at some point goes on a journey where he cloaks himself and to disguise his, his godhood, you know, he cloaks himself and he goes into the different worlds um, within Yggdrasil, which is the tree of life, which is different than the, um, the Hebrew tree of life. It's a different sort of tree, but like the Hebrew tree of life with the Sephirot, it has um, these different sorts of spherical realms that, that are living on the tree. And he goes to all the realms. He just is seeking knowledge. Um, and that is uh, him stepping out of his home where he is a king god, and he calls all the shots, and he has all the benefits, and he can do whatever he wants. And he goes outside of that, and the cloak is to obscure his his um, lordliness or his uh, his entitlement, basically. He cloaks himself to be nondescript, uh, and then he goes forward into the world to understand and to learn from different creatures and um, different cultures 
and see different things, not from a place of give it to me, like give me the report from this realm or that, like he wants to know firsthand the knowledge of others. So it's, um, it's taking a position of observation. It's a passive position. Um, and, and it's interesting because to me, uh, the, this principle is heavily feminine, but we see a masculine figure presented and we know it's masculine because he has a beard, you know, and it, you know, come on, like this was made in, in a time and day where a cloaked figure with a beard meant masculine man, right? So, <laughs> so anyway, the, um, the figure is a knowledge seeker and they're not, the hermit is a very wise person but they're not um, in, they're not teaching. They're not telling you what they know. They're still taking in more knowledge. They're taking it all in. So it's an experiment of these these inner principles and understanding how to find self-mastery as you're expanding in your knowledge and being open to new things. At the same time, you're not putting it all out there. You're not like, well, I just came from this other little um, realm down the, the road, and guess how they make enchiladas over there? You're gonna, you're gonna, your head is gonna be blown. Like they're they're not like lording over anyone. For example, and again, the 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 cloak is to cloak themselves to. Um, obscure their entitlement and their knowledge and uh, their their true greatness because it's that's not the point of the pursuit of knowledge is to lord it over others it's to um, expand in your in your own um, in your own taking of knowledge um, and uh, eventually on his journey he sees everything and when I see tarot I see it starting at the full um, normal, everyone does, and then you go down the line, and then I always see it turning at the, at the wheel of fortune, at the 10, and then it goes 11, like a conveyor belt, 11 is on top of 10, 12 is on top of 9, and, and so that becomes the, what I think of is like the shadow or the mirrored aspect of the first card on the lower half, that came before. So nine is the number of the hermit and 12 is the number of the, f the famous hanged man. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because when most of us, when we just hear the word like, a, like a, a hanged man, we usually think of a rope around the neck, right? We think of the gallows and someone being hung by the throat. That's the image of a hanged man. But when you see a hanged man in tarot, he is hung by the foot, which is weird. You know, it's not usually how it goes down in the IRL. So why, why is he hung by the fucking foot? Um, I don't know. But it's interesting because in the story of Odin, um, as he progresses, he sees everything and he's like, my thirst for knowledge is not quenched. That's, that's exactly what he sounded like, if you're wondering. That's exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> and he goes, I want to hang myself um, by the foot so I can hang upside down from the tree of life itself. I'm going to the highest branch in Yggdrasil, 
I'm going to hang myself by the foot and I'm going to see everything I'm, I've ever seen, but reverse upside down backwards. So maybe I could, you know, maybe I could see it. Maybe I could see what I'm looking for. And as he's hanging by the foot, it's uncomfortable because this, the similar, another parallel between, um, the Norse gods and the, the Roman and Greek gods, um, well, the Romans just copy the Greeks, so whatever. But anyway, it's sort of same kind of concept where they're these masterful, beautiful beings with imperfect tendencies. They're not always benevolent. And also they can experience pain and wounding and, and sometimes death, which is fascinating. But anyway, um, he hangs himself upside down by the foot for nine days. Nine is the number of the hermit card. Again, coincidence? I don't know. Ask ancient aliens guy. He hangs himself upside down from the foot for nine days. And all the blood is just pulling up into his head and he's uncomfortable and he's like, nah. And then um, his ankle is just throbbing with pain. The bind is cutting off his circulation. It's cutting his skin. He's bleeding. There's a lot of weird blood stuff going on here. He's hates it. He's uncomfortable. Finally, he screams out in agony, pain. He screams and his scream does this thing where it, it shatters. His scream shatters into runes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love this as a story method because I just imagine back in the day, you know, not the 60s, like the, the, like a long time ago before they had radio or whatever. There, people are just telling these stories and the beautiful thing about storytelling is you could say something so insanely poetic. You're, it's beautiful to hear and you can't ever totally visualize such a thing. Maybe in like a comic book form where you see like a word bubble where he's like, ah, and then it just like the image of it shatters and sort of breaks into this puzzle piece of rune, uh, which is rune is a divination system, but it's also an alphabet. And it's also a calendar. And it's also it's like it's very complicated. It's not just it's not just an alphabet for writing. It's not just a system of writing. It's also a system of divining and scrying and calendar system. Uh, it means a lot of stuff. So, um, what's interesting to me is, uh, of course the hermit is, um, eventually progresses to the stage of the hanged man when you feel held back and then you're just like, ah, I don't know what the fuck it means anymore. And then you have a breakthrough and then you're like, okay, I've compiled all this data. Here's my contribution to humanity. This is what I've learned. Um, he's not there yet. He's still in the space where it's most important to observe and take in information and figure it out within the self and understand and equate like, his reactions to his environment to understand the self better, you know, know thyself, right? He understands who he is 
by having all of these external weird experiences and taking in all this information, understanding his reactions, learning how to master himself. So then he understands the difference between his reactions and his feelings and his own thoughts. And he understands, uh, has a strong enough sense of self where he can start to separate what are just his reactionary opinions and what is the world itself speaking around him, revealing itself through all things. Um, he's in a space of reflection and through this self-mastery, will, that will be the only way he can get to a point where he um, starts to really understand how to eventually put it together and then give it back to, to where, from whence it came, the big old world. So, um, my point about my own experiences is, um, yeah, like, I think I was trained, um, on accident to, um, take in a lot of different perspectives because I was thrown into it. And, um, that fractures the mind. It's, it's unhealthy. It's not good. I don't like it. To be honest, there's a lot of things that I wish were done differently. Um, but I can't deny that that is the reality that I've experienced. And it's a hyper dose of reality itself, which is all around us. <laughs> it's the air we breathe, you know. It's the song we're all swimming in. And because of that, um, it, it has fractured my mind a lot. But because of um, taking a step back and deciding to figure out how to have mastery over myself and to take the helm to um, sort of like man the control switchboard, um, I'm allowing myself room to find the inner mastery and to cool my ass down and to understand and discern that the world isn't being done to me or you know, my feelings of uncomfort or this or that aren't always the best reflection of what I'm looking at. It sometimes is my own deal. And the more I can have a grip on what my deal is, the more I could see nakedly and take on what is happening all around. So um, it heightens the power of observation, um, which is one of the primary qualities of, of hermetic besides health, uh, self-mastery is to have, um, have an understanding, observing outside of um, the realm of influence by what everyone else is agreeing to think and believe and see. You're seeing um, with your own eyes because you're taking a step back as an other. So... Um, my point is, the hermit is a valuable <laughs> lesson in tarot because it's so much about um, learning to, to trust yourself. And, and so many of the fucking, are, like, that's maybe what my take is from tarot. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to tarot to begin, to begin with. It's about learning to trust yourself. That's what so much of it is about to me the understanding, the awakening of the namaste or whatever. Like, I see the God within you and me. I see the God within me. I see the gods within me, the many fractured, different convoluted stories and head games and, like, trip out and, like, all of these, like, sort of deacons of deities that are the major arcana that are awakening to you 
this deity form that they're like, yeah, this is also you. This is also you. This is this is a heightened being that is um, somewhat two-dimensional. There's just one principle that is also something you can look at, observe, study on, and then awaken within yourself how you can, from the inside to out, understand how to trust yourself into unfolding in personal mastery and how to feel at one with your soul within an unknowing and crazy ass world and and to be honest that's another attraction of the tarot is like what's going what's going on what's going on I don't know I don't know what tomorrow will bring does he love me will I get the promotion is my friend going to get better? You know, like, how long do I have to till I am going to be married? You know, what's going to happen? Like These, these are the typical uh, <laughs> inquiries that people come with when they pursue things that are like, I don't know, I feel unstable, I feel freaked out and, and uncomfortable. What if there was a magical game that you could play that tells you that you're going to be fine and you're in control and everything's okay? Oh, of course. Of course I want to learn what tarot is, if it can tell me that. But what you're really asking is, do I have permission to feel okay? Now. I feel not okay now. And part of that is... I've felt not okay for a long time. I felt disempowered and confused. And I feel that I'm going to be on the train of confusion till question mark. And I want to have a little insight on something that will make me feel like I turned the lights on and I'm in control and I'm not scared. So when we see the tarot principles like the hermit, um, I think an abuse of it is just to be like, you need to spend some time alone reflecting and then maybe you're going to, after that, feel like you're going to go out and like then you'll meet um, King of Swords. He's going to be a really hot guy and he'll probably have medium length hair and he'll probably be a Capricorn, Taurus, Pisces, Aries, or a Leo. And then you're going to definitely hook up. And, you know what I mean? Like, Sorry, it's way too easy to do that. I could probably do that all night. But um, what I'm saying is um, when we really study the tarot from a point of lucidity where we're awakened within our hearts, when we're feeling like this is my one and precious life, I'm awake in this moment. I want to feel all here. I want to feel all on board that I have control over my own sovereignty now. And whatever happens, whatever comes at me, I will feel in my own center that I can control it, that I can, if not control it, understand what's appropriate, what's the, the polarization of control would be yielding, that I can surf with it, you know, that I can be responding to it in a way that I don't feel freaked out all the fucking time like life is just slapping me in the face as I walk through um so 
we, we approach tarot to get the, the soothing, the, the itch of the unknowing because we want to hear something predictive. But I think that that will never soothe the itch. We'll just be like, how far does that go? You know, like, I want to know what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next. That didn't happen. That reading was inaccurate. I'm going to come back and be like, okay, maybe I'll ask someone else what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. But that is a very stupid use of that. You know, it's like, <sighs> plug it in, use it right. Like, don't just rub against the side of it, you know. So, so basically... All I'm saying is more important than using for predictive me predictive measures in in the in the tarot. Um, sometimes when we see cards like like the hermit, it's like the archetypal um, essence and po po potion of it is if we if we meditate on that in itself, there's um, a huge power download of like understanding how to be centered within ourselves um maybe this is repetitive i just want to make it not confusing so i hope that this hermit over here is um communicating to your inner hermit or whatever <laughs> um so i just want to send everyone blessings to find their own inner lucidity and feel that when you're learning your tarot um, that there's, there's almost like these endless equations and connotations with each card, but I'm sharing my own personal stories as a way of opening up my human cabinet, you know, of what this, this life has been and how I've related it through tarot. Um, so maybe as an offering to you and, um, your own journey. All right. Peace out. Bye.